your young self something, what would you, what would you give as a message? What would you give yourself as a message? If you could go back and talk to your young self, would you tell yourself uh, something different to do? Would you tell yourself not to make a certain decision or to go a different path, to stay away from a certain person or to make sure that you found a certain person earlier, perhaps in your life? Would you, um, would you tell them something that perhaps they wouldn't listen to at that time, remembering what you were like back then? None of us really get that option. But if we'll take the recommendations of others, and tonight of the scriptures, we can use our remaining days better. Imagine Solomon, the wisest natural man who's ever lived, his hands marked, shaking, the skin hanging on him perhaps a little bit tighter than it once did, a gaunt figure, twilight years, There he is, penning for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the words of the book of Ecclesiastes, talking about a man who tried to find meaning without God. And what he came to as a conclusion, what he ended up with. And remember, he searched all throughout the known world at that time that he could find because he had all of the wealth to do it. He had all of the education and he wrote more books than you could keep track of. He had all of the pleasure and the comforts. He had uh, a thousand different women in his life, 700 of them wives, 300 of them concubines. This man searched throughout everything. He said, I I went even to the point of madness trying to find purpose, satisfaction in life under the sun, life without God. And he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He found it empty. And so having done a lifetime of this. And remember, his, his ending is much, much sadder than what his beginning was. His beginning looked good, but he did not finish strong. It's a striking realization that he comes to, but it's also a rather simple one. So let's look at this advice from someone who is looking back and finally comes to a conclusion and see if we can't live our days better because of it. We'll be in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 beginning in verse number one. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Well, the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Well, the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble and the strong men shall bow themselves and the grinders cease because they are few and those that look out the windows be darkened. And the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. Also, when they shall be afraid of that which is high and fears shall be in the way and the almond tree shall flourish and the grasshopper shall be a burden and desire shall fail because man goeth to his long home and the mourners go about the streets. Or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that in this hour you would meet with us. You've promised that if we gather together in your name, and we do gather in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would be in our midst. And so we, we count that as true and ask that you would guide our time in your word tonight. Speak to us. Speak through me in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Remember, this is at the end of Solomon's life. He, he had a very promising beginning. He had a very promising beginning. He was asked of God, what would you have me give you? And God said that he would give him whatever was his heart's desire. And instead of asking for the lives of his enemies or asking for wealth or long life, Solomon asked for what? Wisdom. To know how to come in and go out before God's people. To know how to lead so great a people as God's people. This was Solomon the king, David's son. And so he had a great responsibility placed upon him. And not only was that great responsibility placed on him young, it was also a little bit of turmoil that he came out of where somebody else tried to become king. But God blessed Solomon and gave him peace during most of his reign and gave him riches beyond anything he could imagine. And then something went wrong. It says that Solomon loved many strange women. That doesn't mean that the women he loved were peculiar. It means that they were not of God's people. They were uh, the, the daughter of Pharaoh. They were worshipers of other gods, Molech and Ashtoreth. They were, they were pagan women that when they brought themselves into that marriage relationship with Solomon, they brought their gods in too. And they said, can't we do something for my God? You have a big temple for your God and you have a whole city that's called the city of God and you have a word of God. Why don't you build something for us in the high places? Could you, could you do something for, for my God or my goddess? And sure enough, Solomon's heart was turned away by the hundreds of wives and concubines he brought in that were not of God's people. God warned that that would happen. If you bring somebody in that does not know him, especially into that marriage relationship, don't be surprised when they would turn your heart away. And that's exactly what happened with Solomon. And so though he started well, he ended poorly. And we have a sense of almost regret. We have a sense of regret as we read these words. He begins in verse number one saying, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. As opposed to any other time, as opposed to when you're old, like me, Solomon was saying, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Who is the creator? It is the true and living God. Look back in the beginning, very beginning of our Bibles in Genesis 1 in verse number 1. Who is the creator? Some accidental force? No. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And there are many people that have many models scientifically that explain where everything came from, but there was only one person present when it all began, and that's God himself. And we don't have time tonight, it's not the scope of the message to go into creation, but we can't look at this word of creator without remembering who it is that made us. Wonderfully, we were not accidents. Isn't that nice to know? You're not the the product of random chance and unguided natural process. You're not a cosmic accident tonight. You are crafted by the Lord himself. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Just as you are, you may not be like somebody else and you may think that you wish you were, but you are exactly how God wanted you to be with the gifts that he has for you and a path that he has for you to walk in your life. You are not an accident. You have been created. But one of the reasons why mankind, unsaved, unregenerate mankind, fights so desperately against The idea of a a creator is because they do not want to be under anyone's authority. They do not want to be under anyone's authority. If somebody made me, then by right of creation, they have claim on me, claim on my behavior. 
And so mankind has gone to great lengths, even beyond the scope of science, trying to grasp it some way to say there is no God and no one has any rights to tell me what to do. I am the captain of my own fate. Man has, has left reason in order to find some way to ignore this. But we belong to him and he has right over us as creator and remember who it is that created us. And it says here, in the days of thy youth. How old do you think that is? What are the days of your youth? I don't know. I think that for many people, that probably brings something else up. This is going to surprise you, but today is the oldest I have ever been. Doesn't that shock you? I'm 40 years old. Now, to some people, that's very young. How many of you would say, that's very young? Thank you. I love that. But, but when I was a child, I thought that 40 was like near death. I mean, when I get that old, I'll have to be put in a home or something like that. When you're a child, you see things differently. And so I don't know exactly, we're not told exactly what Solomon was thinking of when he says the days of our youth. But here's what he contrasts it to. As opposed to, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Here he's saying at the very beginning, when you're young and you still have pleasure and desires and hopes and dreams, as opposed to where he has found himself at the end of his life, where now he says the evil days have come. I think anybody that's lived any amount of time in this life will, will admit that there are some evil days that you live through. I don't think that's unique to Solomon. I think all of us have days like that. Times when catastrophes happen, when we experience loss or loneliness or despair abandonment, uh, the, the death of a dream. Something like that comes into every life. And in seasons, it comes into our lives. But he's saying you get to this place almost where you don't want to live anymore. He says where the years draw nigh, where you get to the point where you say, There's, I, I don't have anything to live for. I am here at the very end of life. You ever met somebody that despaired of life and they were hoping it was their time to go? And not because they were enjoying the idea of heaven, not because they were excited to get into the presence of their Lord and Savior, just because they were done with life here, because it had nothing for them. And then we get this very uh, picturesque way of telling us about what happens to the body as we get close to there. And it's given to us in some very pretty language, but it's not very pretty what he's describing. Beginning in verse number two. By the way, um, just one more thought. We cannot wait to get serious about serving God. We cannot wait to get serious about serving God because there is no better time than right now. We, we may tell ourselves there will be a better time. When I feel better, when I have more money, when I have more availability, when the kids are older, when the kids are out of the house, when I, I don't have this job, when I'm retired, when I, when we, we think that there's going to be some magical better time. How many of you, your life has, has really just become so simple as you've gotten older. And anybody would say that, I, I mean, perhaps some things, but then there's other things that come in their place, isn't there? Other things come in their place. So the idea of doing it in the days of our youth, and it says remember, it says remember in the days of our youth. How could you forget your creator? How could you forget your creator? Doesn't that sound ridiculous that you could forget God? But didn't the children of Israel do that exact thing? Didn't they do that exact thing? I want to pop over there real quick before we move on to this lovely description. Would you look in Deuteronomy with me? 
in Deuteronomy chapter 8. They were warned by the Lord about forgetting God. A little bit of background. The children of Israel were to be given a promised land. They were slaves in Egypt. God delivered them by miracles using his man Moses, took them through the wilderness, wand wilderness wanderings, and then they made their way into the promised land, or they were going to. And before they got there, God warned them, saying this, in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse number 10, When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in keeping not his commandments and his, stat and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest, when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. This was the warning, don't forget God, because right now things are terrible and you need him. Right now things are rough and it's immediately a, a obvious that you don't have what you need. But the day is coming when you will have what you need, or at least it will feel like that. You'll be able to look at your silver and gold. You'll be able to look at your herds. You'll be able to pull up your stock portfolio. You'll be able to look at your retirement funds. You'll be able to look at your, your bank account statement. You'll look at your paid off house. You'll look at all of the good things that have happened and you've raised your kids and they get out of that and you'll think, I've got this. I finally did it. Here I am. No, don't forget God in your success. Sometimes success is more dangerous than failure because people forget the Lord in it. And that is what Solomon looks back and he says, I want you to know, remember, remember now while you're young, your creator and not in these evil days. It says in verse number two, while the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened nor the rain or the clouds return after the rain. These are all talking about dark times, talking about the clouds. You think that the rain is gone and the, the clouds, they, they come back. Talking about the difficult times when the light doesn't shine. Verse 3, and the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble. This is a, a nice way of saying your arms and your hands aren't as strong as they used to be, not able to do what you used to be able to do. And the strong men shall bow themselves. Right? They'll bow themselves down. This is speaking of the legs. And the grinders cease because they are few. Anyone have a guess there? Your teeth. I don't think that they had as good of a dental plan as we do this day. When we think back to the book of Ecclesiastes, their teeth fell out. And you know what they did? They had no teeth. We can get all sorts of things nowadays. But it says, when the grinders cease because they're few, and those that look out of the windows be darkened. What do you think that is? eyes your eyesight as it fails verse number four and the doors shall be shut in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low referring to how easily things bother especially as it talks about and he shall rise up at the voice of a bird what do you think that refers to poor sleep little things almost nothing wakes you up any of you notice that you sleep less and less soundly as you get older I've heard that. It hasn't hit me yet. <laughs> but I've heard that people say, I just woke up. I just woke up for no reason. What time was that? Five, 4.30. And you're like, oh, 
I haven't experienced that yet. So you get up instead of just turning over and going back to sleep. Something that comes. It says, and the daughters of music shall be brought low. Hard of hearing. Also when they shall be afraid of that which is high. Fear of falling. Something that comes the older that you get. I'm afraid of things that are high right now. And the fears shall be in the way. Honestly, fears are just multiplied. Have you, have you had this experience yet? Have you thought back to those of you that have raised children or perhaps have grandchildren or someone like that in your life? Have you thought back to what you allowed your kids to do? And, and now you think, what was I thinking? And if you have that thought before, you're like, I let my kids do that? I can't believe I let my kids do that. I, I can see it happening in my own parents as they are much more cautious now about what they allow my children to do as opposed to what they allowed my brother and I to do. My brother and I, we were just, we were given somewhat a free reign. You want to go run around the woods and there's no cell phone and you go have fun with your friends, do it and come back. No problem. There's no way on earth that Nana would let the little ones out of her sight now to go play outside. I don't know if that's because the world that we're in has changed or if we just know more about it or if you've just lived long enough to seen enough bad things happen where when you were younger, you just didn't realize that they happened or you didn't think about it. But fears multiply. Small things become larger than they ought to be. We'll get there in a second. It says, and the almond tree shall flourish. Anybody know what color the leaves are when the almond tree is in bloom? They're white. Talking about when the hair becomes white. And the grasshopper shall be a burden. Things that are light, things that are small, that ought not be a big deal, become a big deal. Things that used to be nothing, not a burden at all. You could lift, you could bear it, you could do what needed to be done. No longer does it happen. And desire shall fail. You lose your appetites, perhaps your zest for life. Those things are not there anymore. I remember Pastor Jenkins saying something as he was getting older. He said it in a sermon, I think. He said, sometimes we old people forget that young people need fellowship. He says, all we want to do is sit in our recliner. I think he said lazy boy and watch television, but they, they need to be with one another. And I'm like, really? You don't want to be with anybody? And I find the older I get, the more I, I understand what he's talking about. And it can only, I imagine, increase as time goes on. It says, because man goeth to his long home and the mourners go about the streets. He is looking at his own mortality and all the things that he has accomplished and yet still he finds himself in this weak place. And he goes back and saying, instead of getting to the end of your life, instead of getting to this place where you're facing death and now say, I'm going to get serious about God or I had it right in the beginning and I left it. He's saying, in the days of your youth, start then and live for God then. Don't wait until you're older. I know that there are people that sometimes say, well, I'll get... I'll get saved when I'm older. Deathbed conversion, they call it. So I can live however I want now and I'll get right with God later. That only works if you die in a bed. Conscious of what's going on, in your, your right mind, able to make that decision. There's plenty of people that don't have such a peaceful passing. And to put it off until then sounds like folly, especially when eternity hangs in the balance. Verse number six are many metaphors about death. Or ever the silver cord be loosed, or the golden bowl be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern. He's saying, before death ever finds you, remember your creator. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. It's a good reminder 
that the best looking person, the smartest person you've ever met, the richest person you've ever met is dust. Dust. Perhaps well-dressed dust. Perhaps properly diversified in their portfolio dust. But at the end of the day, we are just dust. At least this body is. Look in Genesis chapter 2, would you? You say, what do you mean dust? Well, this physical body in its current state is a temporary abode. It's a temporary dwelling. It says in Genesis 2 and verse number 7. Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 7. And the Lord formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. I want you to know that before we became a living soul, the Lord gathered up some dust and he created us. There's a a, a joke that talks about scientists going to God and saying, God, we've unlocked the secrets of genetics. We've unlocked the secrets of, of cloning. We've unlocked the human genome and all of its complexity. And we think that we can build a better human than what you've built. We think we can improve upon it. And God says, all right, if you want to do that, we'll do it like we did it in the beginning. And so God grabs some dust and the scientist goes over and grabs some dust. And God says, get your own dust. Because in the end of the day, they're only working with what they've been given by the creator. But we go back into Ecclesiastes and we read these words in verse seven. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. When someone is laid into the ground at a, at a graveside service, I want you to know that that is the dust being returned to the ground. That's what it's being talked about. That is this body, this temporary body being set in there. You and I aren't there. When it's our day to be set into the ground, we're not going to be there. To be absent from the body, present with the Lord. Immediately, when we die and take our last breath here, we will find ourselves in the presence of God. Whether for good or for ill, whether we're prepared or not, that's a different question. But what we we find is not only are we of the dust of the ground, but it also says about our spirit, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. You are more than just this body. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that you're more than just this body? Because when it's working great, it's wonderful. And when it's not, it's not such a great place to be. You are not a body that has a soul. You are a soul that has a body. The part of you that's you, the part of you that will live forever, the things that the Bible refers to as your soul and your spirit, they will exist as long as God exists. And so you will continue on, but you will have a day when you will stand before the Lord. It says, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. It says in Hebrews chapter 9, in verse number 27, perhaps a verse that you're familiar with, in Hebrews chapter 9, in verse number 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. There will come a day when you and I will stand before the Lord. Without a doubt, there will come a day when you and I will stand before the Lord. It says in Romans chapter 14, in Romans chapter 14, Romans 14 and verse number 12. So then, every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. We will one day give an account of ourselves to God. For those of us that know Christ as Savior, it will not be a decision about heaven and hell. It will be a decision of reward or loss. Whether we gain the riches 
that God wants to bestow upon us because we were faithful with what we were given, or if we had the wrong motives and the wrong desires and we didn't act faithfully with what we were given. We may experience loss from those things. For the unsaved, they'll step into the presence of God not as a welcoming home, but as a terrible day of judgment. And at the great white throne judgment, when that day comes, they will be cast into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. What a, what a terrible <clears throat> thought to even consider that there's no end to that suffering. And so we're brought to this place where not all of us, perhaps, maybe in this room, but not all mankind recognize God as their father, but all of us need to recognize God as our creator. And so he makes this appeal, he makes this plea, not just to believers, but to everybody, that now is the time. You may not be as young as you used to be, but now is the time to get serious about the things of God. Now is the time to be ready to meet God because regardless of whether or not you believe in him, you will meet him. That's one of the reasons why people need to hear. People need to know that one day they're going to stand before God in their sin if they don't know Christ as Savior. Praise God that you and I, who do know Christ, he has already paid for that. He has already shed his own blood. He died for us and as us was buried and rose again from the grave. We have eternal life. And so we don't face that dreaded fear. We ought not dread death in the sense of eternal punishment. But I also don't want to show up there poor. I don't want to show up there with nothing to cast at the feet of Jesus. I don't want to show up to a meager entry. I hold the record in my college where I graduated with my PhD. I hold the record for the lowest passing grade in the Hebrew examination. I just barely made it in. Nobody has ever cut it so close as me. That is not how I want to enter into heaven. My Greek score was fine. The Hebrew score, not so great. I don't want to just make it into heaven like that. Do you? Will you get the lowest path? No, I want, I want that to be a very good day. And so he tells us death is working in us even now. I know we think that we're healthy until we die, but it's a slow decline if the Lord blesses you with a long life. It's even working in us now. And so to leave it as unconsidered is unwise. A couple of points of application for us this evening. First of all, remember God. Remember God. Forgetting him seems impossible, but it's all too frequent. You say, what does it look like to forget God? Have you ever gone an entire day without thinking about him? Have you ever gone an entire day without thinking about God? Have you ever woken up intending to spend time with him and you thought, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to pray, maybe I'm going to put on some music about the Lord, maybe I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But before you know it, you wake up, you looked at your phone, something has gone wrong, maybe you overslept. Maybe something is wrong with a child or a grandchild or you just got to rush off. And before you know it, you're getting down at the end of the day, you're brushing your teeth, you're getting ready for bed, and this thought comes to you that I didn't spend any time with the Lord at all today. In fact, I didn't even think about him. This entire day flew by and he wasn't the least bit of important in how I spent my time or my thoughts. I have had those days. That's what it looks like to forget God. And if you have enough of those days, it's a week that goes by without considering him. And after a week, it can become weeks, plural, or even a month. If you want to know how people end up backslidden, 
And by the way, backslidden is a Bible term for people that were once close to the Lord, but because of neglect, whether it was based on circumstances or otherwise, they have found themselves away from him. They haven't lost their salvation. They just find that their fellowship with him is strained. It's distant. There's something in the way. Something needs to be dealt with so that they can get back close again to God. They don't end up that way. And if you've ever had a period in your life where you didn't like church, and you didn't like your Bible, and you didn't want to go to church, and you didn't want to read your Bible, and you didn't want to listen to Christian music, and you wanted to do whatever it is that you wanted, watch whatever you want, go wherever you want, drink whatever you want, you've had seasons perhaps like that where you find yourself completely like, ugh, i got to find some excuse to get away from, from the Lord. You probably didn't end up there going from one day reading your Bible, praying, singing his praises, attending the services, giving being generous with the people around you, sharing the gospel, and then the next day you're like, not going to church. It was a small thing. Not reading my Bible. No, it was a small thing. It was a small, great. I, I can see it in my own life. It's just a small, little, slight departure. But enough of those things over enough of a period of time, and we've ended up forgetting our God. When we don't factor God into our decisions, when we don't make him the priority, we forget him. It's a miserable thing, too, because then you're trying to live the Christian life, at least outwardly, so nobody knows that things aren't right between you and the Lord, and you can't do it, and it's sort of miserable. That's what it's like to forget the Lord. And so even though he's saying here, remember the Lord in, in the days of your youth, even if you don't feel so youthful anymore, it's still possible to forget him. Let's remember the Lord. Second of all, let's reach children with the gospel. Let's reach children with the gospel. The days of youth are the days in which people seem most open to the gospel. And I don't know entirely why that is. I have some guesses. I think that the longer you live in this world, the more skeptical and cynical you become. The more jaded you become. The more indoctrinated by godless things that you become. I know a lot of people say, well, I want to let my kids make their own decisions about what they'll believe or not. Well, the world is just not going to let that happen. The world isn't going to leave them alone. It's not going to leave them in a vacuum. Their flesh sure isn't going to leave them alone. They're going to have that part of them, that, that fleshly part of them drawing them towards sin. Oh, no. And the enemy, the adversary, is not going to leave them alone. Not at all. So you might seed, you might release, you might walk away from your side and teaching them, but know that they're already being dragged by a current. And if there's no counterforce, they're going to be dragged fully away. So the idea of letting my kids make decisions for themselves, that's nonsense because nobody ever gets a neutral ground. We're either gaining ground or we're losing ground. Remember that. You say, I don't, I don't want to indoctrinate my children. I don't want to brainwash my children or my grandchildren with religion. So then you'll let the godless in our society brainwash them with wickedness? That doesn't seem to be a good answer to that question, though many people in my generation would say they're going to try and let their children make their own decisions. Scripture, statistics, personal testimonies agree that when a person is young, when they're a child, they're much more open to believing the gospel. Much more open to believing the gospel. And so what do we do? Well, we should first try and win our own children if the Lord has given us any. If we uh, don't have children to win, perhaps we have nieces and nephews in our family. Perhaps we have neighbors that have children. Perhaps there's workers that we know that have children, co-workers. 
Uh, maybe we have grandchildren. Maybe the Lord has given us, who knows? But we think about the young people in our lives and think about there's a window in their life before the world gets their claws in, it gets its claws in them, when they're so much more likely to listen and at least give you a fair hearing. Uh, I, I heard George Barna, who's a researcher, speak one time. He is one of the most, you think this is bad? He is one of the most boring speakers I've ever heard. Honestly, someone who loves statistics, you, you can imagine the type of person that might gravitate towards that. Sorry, Sean, I don't mean to insult you. And he got up and he, and he spoke and I, he, he cited some studies and things like that. He came to the Cleveland area and a bunch of pastors met with him. And he said, if you give the gospel to a child between ages 5 and 12, there's 34% likely to receive the gospel and believe on Jesus. Between 13 and 17 years old, that number dropped to 4% in their studies. And after 18 years old, it bumps back up to 6%. Never again does that... Now, the Lord can do whatever he wants. I was 18 years old when I got saved. Some of you were much older when you got saved. But I think, and perhaps someday that would be a good thing to do, is to submit a little questionnaire to the people in our church and find out how old were you when you came to know Christ? How were you led to Christ? Was it in a church service? Was it from a family member or a friend? I think that'd be very interesting. And I also think it would probably bear out to be true that a lot of us made decisions when we were younger if the gospel had been brought in front of us. So win your own children. Pray for our children's Sunday school classes. Pray for our children's Sunday school classes. Pray for junior church. Just so you know, junior church isn't just something that we do to keep the kids busy while we have real church. Real church is something we do to keep us busy while they have junior church. No, no, they're both important. They're both undoubtedly important. And I hope you pray for them. That is something that Greg and Heather have done for years now, faithfully, and God has blessed it. And before them, uh, Brother Rick Haney, uh, my own wife, got saved under Rick Haney's preaching in junior church. And so the fruit that has come because of that. Never, never despise small beginnings, right? There's great things to be done. I hope you pray for master clubs on Wednesday evening. If you ever come in here and you wonder, where is everybody on Wednesday night? The vast majority of people that would normally be here are over there. Doing game time, doing book time, checking them in, making sure that they have everything they need with their badges. They're, they're giving of themselves, having probably worked a full day, and then coming here to make sure that those children are given a solid foundation for life. I hope you pray for them. I hope you pray for them. Serve in one of our children's ministries. Serve in one of our children's ministries. Um, whether that's... Some of you think, I could never teach the Bible to children. Do you know how to put goldfish in a, a, a Dixie cup and hand it out? I know it's a big ask. But if you can, you can have a part in it. When Vacation Bible School comes around, volunteer. Even if it means uh, you're not running around doing games, but you're checking people in at registration. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing to be a part of. Pray about our Good News Club. It looks like we finally have some dates. We'll be meeting in March and April. Uh, that's when our sponsor can get it open, and we're praying about that. But if I'm not mistaken, I don't know when the timetable is. Does anybody know, now that they've passed, uh, I guess it's, it's it a levy or some bill was passed to build the super complex for our elementary schools? Does anyone know when that's expected to begin? 
Okay, they're starting to make plans now. But you know what I wanted? I wanted us to have a public school Bible club in every one of our elementary schools and in the middle school and high school. Do you realize instead of having to deal with five or six elementary schools, now we only have to have a club in one after that's done? And we'll have an opportunity to reach all of them? If we get a club in one middle school, we'll be able to reach all of them there. The same thing with the high school. God is more than able. God is more than able. I know they think that that is for the, the city schools and for their benefit, but I look at it as, well, what does God want to do with that, that giant complex? I'm not going to be sad to see some of the buildings torn down that will be torn down either, but I think it also gives us a great door for the gospel. Reach children with the gospel. Second of all, live for your coming meeting with God. Live for your coming meeting with God. Unless Christ returns in our generation, and he is going to return, but unless it's in our day, we will all die. We will all go through the doorway of death. It's not a pleasant thought, especially for those that don't know Christ, and I don't want to sit there and dwell on the fact that I'm going to die. Do you know a morbid person? Do you know somebody who's morbid and all they talk about is I'll probably be dead this time next year or I'm sure something will go wrong. I have a pain in my arm. I bet it's cancer, right? They're, they're just that kind of person. Do you know somebody like that? That's not what I want you to be like. I don't want you to be in, uh, surrounded by dark thoughts of death, but it is important to realize we only have so many days. We only have so many days. Once you realize that there are a limit to your days, you start to apply your heart to wisdom, the psalmist writes. When we realize that there's a limited number of them, it can be fruitful to consider our end. And so we want to, <coughs> excuse me, we want to spend it on the right things. And the best time to start is when you're young. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I want some of you to think for a moment. How much would you like to have gotten saved or more serious earlier, to have kept some scars and some hurt and some baggage out of your life. That's something that, that often, ha there are people that are serving the Lord. Now, and you know, we can't go back and change any of that. We can't go back and change any of that. But we can take the time that we have left and we can use it so that when we enter into the presence of God, that's a very good day. I believe that's one of the things that God wants of me as a pastor. I believe all pastors should be concerned with the day that the people that they've been entrusted with, that they have a good day when they meet the Lord. And you can have a good day. You can be faithful with the things that God has given you. But that's not going to happen if we just live any old way. If we just let the days breeze by, if we just do things as we've always done things, we're going to find that we get what we've always gotten. Again, that's the theme for this year about making a difference. If we want to see a difference, we have to do something different. <clears throat> and Solomon learned this. What, is it, what needs to change in your life before you, need, before you meet the Lord? What needs to change in your life before you meet the Lord? What would you like to be found doing? You know, I think to myself, I would love the day that I meet the Lord to make sure that I woke up on time, I read my Bible, I prayed, I worshiped the Lord in my own spirit. Hopefully it'll be a church day and I went to church if I'm still able to, if the Lord allows me to live to that place. And the name of Jesus was quick to my lips, and I'm surrounded by all my family, and they're all saved in my 111 grandchildren or something. I don't know. I don't know. None of us gets to decide what those circumstances are. But I do know what I can put into my life right now. 
And I hope it's not, I hope it's not tomorrow, but tomorrow I can wake up on time. I can go to bed on time tonight. Let me start there. I can wake up tomorrow on time. I can get alone with God. I can pull out my Bible. I can pray. I can rejoice in Him. Even if it's 15 minutes. Even if it's 20 minutes. I can get alone with Him. It'll be the best 15 or 20 minutes of your day, I promise. And it'll make everything else, it'll make everything else great. By, by the way, William, didn't you have a concert tonight? You did? Did you tune your instrument? Did you tune it before or after you played your concert? Before. I also recommend you tune your heart before your day begins. Now, I, I understand some people, you like to do your devotions in the evening. I need it in the morning. Something happens to me while I sleep, and I need to be set right again. And so, perhaps, you, if you don't have a time to read your Bible, set a time in the morning to do so. It's not because it's read the Bible. It's because it helps you have an encounter with God. It tunes your heart to sing his praise. What needs to be stopped? What needs to be started? What needs to be adjusted? Live for your coming meeting with God. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Well, the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes for a moment? We have in our church what we call a time of invitation where we invite you to act on what it is that the Lord has spoken to you about. And I don't know what he's spoken to you about, but I do, I do pray, I do pray that he has spoken. Has he spoken to you about how you're spending your life? <clears throat> about the days you might have left? Sometimes I think about how many days of good health do I have left? Charles Spurgeon never had a good, healthy day after age 43. I want you to think about that. That's, that's not that far away. Some of us have passed that. Some of us have passed that. My friend Stephen gave his life for the gospel. Two weeks ago, he was killed on the mission field. And I think to myself, he was only 44, maybe 45. And his race is run. His decisions are made. His priorities were, were decided. What he was going to do with his life was already set forth. And I believe that he had an abundant entry into heaven. Only the Lord knows, but I believe that he did. But it woke me up in thinking, how much time do we have? How much time do we have? Maybe the Lord has impressed that upon your heart. And you may say, the days of my youth are long past. But if you still have life and you still have breath, you can make the days ahead the best days of your life. How? By getting as close to God as possible. By making it as much about Christ as possible. Perhaps you're here tonight and there's young people that you're burdened for. Maybe they're children or grandchildren. Maybe great-grandchildren. Maybe they're nieces or nephews. Maybe it's people you just know through coincidence, but you're concerned that they know Christ and you want to bring their name up before the Lord and pray and ask the Lord to work. Maybe you have a burden about reaching more children in our community. Maybe, maybe in the schools or in master clubs. Maybe you just want to lift up the workers in those ministries tonight. Maybe in some area of your life you've forgotten God. Maybe you made it here to church today, but you could say on other days, the Lord doesn't play much a part in my life and the Lord has gotten my attention. Whatever it might be, would you say yes to the Lord? Allow him to change you, to grow you. Father, help us now in this time. Work in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.